Hey, what's good, people? Can you believe it? This is episode 97. That guy's Nolan. The episode starts right now. What's good, brother? Nolan Olbrecht. What's, what's up, man? Up? Did I say that right? Yeah, Albrecht. <laughs> cool. Hey, what's up, people? Thank you for joining us. This is episode 97. This is the Option Podcast. We're three away from 100. And, man, I, Nolan, I think 100 is probably going to be a, a big, big party, man. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm marking my calendar. Marking my calendar. <laughs> so before we got on the podcast, we were talking about the importance of Zoom, like uh, before COVID, you know, and uh, for everybody who doesn't know who this stranger is, Nolan Albrecht currently is the head coach at Belmont Abbey. He was also a big time player there. I believe you won um, AVCA um, Player of the Year. Um, uh, I, I was never, I was never garnered that uh, award, but I, I did have a good career there. Okay. Uh, Mike Mikolau actually beat me out for uh, Offensive Player of the Year. Oh, cool! So okay. the grass, the grass legend, Michael Mikolau. There so. it is, dude. It's yeah. all about we. It's all about grass legends. That's going to be a lot of this episode too. So, so I guess. <laughs> Let's start with start with a dumb question. It's gonna piss off all, all my viewers. Like that's the first question you're gonna ask. How much has Zoom helped you as as a coach? Just communicating with your players and this and that. Oh my goodness! So you know, recruiting is such a big part of collegiate coaching. Um, you know, it's like somebody said, you can't take donkeys to the Kentucky Derby and expect to win. So we're going after the biggest horses, the best thoroughbreds there are. And if we're not allowed in gyms because a, there's no tournaments or they don't allow coaches in there. We got to get face-to-face interaction somehow with these guys. And so, um, you know, just having the ability to chat with the guys face-to-face in their homes, talk with their parents, uh, whether they're in Italy, California, Hawaii, wherever they are, uh, it's been absolutely, like, important. Yeah. Now, I would also say on the administrative side, it means that we are accessible all the time. So yeah. we can have admin meetings every day of the week if we want. And uh, that ends up slowing it down a little bit. But as far as for recruiting goes, I mean, it, it's just that's been awesome. And we have one of our best recruiting classes ever coming in. So, yeah. yeah. How it's, about you? How's it oh, man, you? it's dude. It's well, this podcast started. Everybody was in studio. I had a, a four camera set. I still do. Um, my okay. sound because of COVID, my sound engineer she you know wanted to get vaccinated and all that stuff. So you saw you see you see split screens the last few episodes, but um, and having people in studio, especially guys like Jeff Samuels or like Dougie Fresh, they're they're, they're just hilarious. It's like when are you guys gonna talk about volleyball? It's like, oh, oh <laughs> about that, you know. But um, it's been very much like you. It's been instrumental because it improved my guest list because a lot there's a lot of people that won't make can't make the trip or won't make the trip right mm-hmm. um, uh, um what's his name dave mckenzie lives mm-hmm. in malaysia right dave mckenzie for anyone that's asking uh, all you need to know about him he's still holds a record for division one kills in the match for division one's 58 you know the original record is 61 mm-hmm. greg uh greg romulus from hunter college crazy haitian dude wow. yeah back in the wow. day with all those I, I actually played on that team that's how i know um okay yeah so tina gordina right uh, um, Dane Blanton's pair one player at USC. She's actually going to the Olympics. She won a bid. Um, and when everyone's partying in Hawaii, AVP Hawaii, she won a, a order. There's a tournament that's an automatic bid in China. So her, um, so she, 
Dane's pair one's going to the Olympics and, she, and she's still going back there. So, you know, so, but, but do you understand what I'm saying? It made, it made like, it made the podcast more accessible to a wider range of guests. Even now, yeah. right? I mean, look no further than where you are. I mean, you're in, where are you right now? Tell everybody where you are right now. Uh, yeah, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. So Belmont Abbey is located 10 minutes away from the airport um, in Charlotte. And mm-hmm. the airport's now an international airport. Charlotte's going like crazy. Yeah. But, you know, even then, you know, flying out to uh, to do the podcast would still uh, still not be <laughs> as accessible as just logging into the Zoom and, and chatting some good ball and talking entertainment and stuff. So, you're yeah, still- I, I can't stress the importance of that enough. Wait, you're still an active player, right? Yeah. Yeah, you look entirely too young to not do it, you know. Um, what's, VC- <laughs> what's VCN? Uh, so VCN is Volleyball Club Nebraska. Um, that's who I played the VLA with. Um, they had, they hosted an event, uh, every summer VCN in order to grow the men's game, they host a men's match and they've done it for charity in the past. They've done it to support, um, you know, a certain person in the hospital or something. And this year they decided to make it like a men's pro match. So we invited out Phoenix Ascension as well as Chicago Iceman. And then they kind of put together a team of kind of guys that are familiar with Nebraska, familiar with Dan Mater, who helps run VCN. And uh, quite frankly, a lot of uh, University of Nebraska, like graduate assistants and volunteer assistants and stuff. So we put together a team and we were kind of a ragtag bunch of former all-conference players and, you know, current grass and sand players and battled it out. We lost in four to the Iceman and then we beat the Ascension in four. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. My, I think I'm still sore from that. That was about a month ago. Yeah, I nice. don't play too much indoor anymore. I play mostly beach and grass. So, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like once, here's here's how it happens, all right? You play a little bit of grass, East Coast guys. We play a little grass and then eventually we wind up on the beach. And then maybe we get, we get out there and we're like, fuck this beach stuff, man. It's, it's, I can't move. I can't jump. I can't do all the things that I do well, you know, on the grass or indoor. Why would anyone play this? And by the way, my nose is on fire. I look like Rudolph the Red Dog. I look like Rudolph right now. And then, I don't know, the competitive genes, uh, uh, um, juices in you, um, enable you to keep coming back, coming back. And then all of a sudden, when your body adjusts to playing for the beach, you it's a different kind of sore, right? Like, mm. I'll give you an example, and you'll you'll definitely agree with this. Uh, or if you don't, you stop me and interrupt me at any time. When I played, because I, I, my playing days are done, but when I played, and I still play, I take that back. When I played, I um, play, I would play like beach all day, right? Or and my friends would ask me, "Hey, what are you doing tonight? You want to go sing karaoke?" I'm like, "Sure, yeah, I'm 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 good. I'm gonna jump in the shower. I'm ready, right?" But if I play a grass tournament or if I play indoor, Jay, what are you up to tonight? I'm like, I'm not doing shit. <laughs> you know, man, I'm not doing any. What? What am I doing? Do you know what I did today? <laughs> so, I'm, how much of that is uh, true as as an application to you? <laughs> Oh, it's, I mean, that's a hundred percent true after Pottstown. I mean, I think that tournament ended on Sunday at like nine o'clock. And I think again, after a beach tournament, you know, Mark and I are headed to the local bar and we're going to hang out with everybody after the tournament. But after that tournament, I think we stopped at Wendy's on the way home and we just sat in the hotel room and just laid down like, Oh, Oh man, everything hurts. Everything hurts. And we were so get this. We were so sore after the tournament that we did not leave our hotel until the next day at two o'clock 
we had like diamond status late checkout. We stayed in the, like he went to go get breakfast at nine. I went down there like eight, mm-hmm. stayed in the hotel all the way until two o'clock the next day, just cause you got those six matches on Sunday after playing, you know, old school scoring on Saturday, all those matches as well. Uh, yeah. Grass and indoor. It's, it's just a different, it's just a different animal. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's definitely grueling. Um, but it's also, it puts, there's basically, I, I think of volleyball as like the performance is up here, like performance is way up here, but then you have these three prongs underneath that support the performance and you have the physicality prong, you have the tactical prong, and then you have the technique prong and mindset gels those three together and they all mold together to form this performance. And I think the thing about grass and indoor is that the physicality is much, much bigger. It takes up way more space of those three prongs Mm -hmm. of that pyramid or whatever um, than the tactic or the technique. I mean, you saw, if anybody was watching Pottstown, I mean, Belov served like eight aces in the finals. And how we got to the finals was, I was able, okay, yeah, like I was able to serve a whole bunch of aces um, as well to get there. And that's not really technique. Jumps are that's not really tactics. All wrecked up on the option. And guess what? <laughs> Squeeze it past the block of Belov. And that's a side out. You're right. We've been locked up here at 1-3 for a little bit. Uh, sorry, I was just showing some highlights or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The advantage no, and, and that's show. Up. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. That's just straight up physicality. So mm-hmm. I think the, now, the that fun is the thing about side out scoring. And the addictive thing about beach in a way is that I think all three of those, the technique or the tactic, the physicality and the technique are all equal in the performance. And I think in indoor, especially men's indoor, the physicality trumps almost everything. Um, Because if you're six, eight and you're hitting over the block, you don't even have to have good hand contact. You can just waffle the ball over the place. But if you're above the block hitting 12 feet, you're going to score. Well, and that's hard to do on the beach. Well, there's physicality, there's technique, and you said there's tactical, right? Um, mm-hmm. As a former indoor player, I, I actually I played overseas in Germany as an outside and then set for a bunch of bunch of teams that won nationals. Paul M, like in the 90s. Balmeso, you know, a bunch of crazy Dominicans, supposedly out of North okay. Carolina. They're not. Dude, you're in North Carolina. You've never seen, a Dem- you've never seen anyone from Balmesa. They're in Uptown. They're in Washington Heights, New York, okay? They just stop. <laughs> I, I did not go to Nationals with them because I didn't want to pay, but I did, I did, you know, like bid the bid, the bid, you know, to get in and all that stuff. I, I, I did mm-hmm. a lot. I've played against and with all those teams. So for, so for me, I guess the point I was trying to make is a 6-1 blocker. Um, there are plenty of, like, outside hitters you know, that hit over the top like a couple of plays. But then, like you said, there has to be a sustainability of that. Like sooner or later, Mm -hmm. you crack the code. You jump later, you show them the top of the tape, and then you, you know, then you kind of like just take it away. So so eventually, you know, even people that jumped higher, you kind of figure that out. So I think... Uh, out of the out of the three things you mentioned, I guess it's the combination of all three that are, that makes someone be able to hit over the hands all every time they go against every time they go against them. There has to be that discipline, right? That has to. Mm-hmm. Does that fall under the category of technique? I think that falls into the category of your the mindset that mm-hmm. melds all three of those right. and like helps those all peak up at the performance. Right. Um, I think that's what that is because you're right you can jump out of the gym, but if you can't, if you can't even contact the ball, I mean, we've all played, you know, gym volleyball with the basketball team and you see them and they're all jumping like crazy or they're all super fast, super physical. 
they can't even hit the ball, you know, on their hand because they don't even know the timing. They don't know anything like that. And that's the technique part. Um, And I think as long, you know, like TJ DeFalco being someone who's not crazy tall, but he's super explosive, crazy smart. He gets the most out of his physicality every time because his tactics and his techniques help to get his performance way, way up there. Who's um, who were you talking about again? TJ DeFalco. Oh, DeFalco, yeah, Long Beach State, yeah. dude. Yeah. yeah, 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 and current and he's representing the U.S. in the Olympics coming up too. So, well, I hope um, he got his overseas experience in first because I got pff, man. You try to jump, try to jump straight out of college. Okay, I got a chip and and take a trip there and see what happens. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, the guys love for the for the sport and, and the chip on his shoulder are what I think bring him to the dance, but at the same time. Uh, on that scene can really work against you if you're not you, you know what I'm saying if it's if you mm-hmm. lean percentage wise more percentage wise more heavily on that because you kind of want it in a bad way and then when it's not there you think you're doing something not um, competitive enough and sometimes guys try to do the same thing better which won't work I mean you, you if yeah. you're not sound technique you're only going to hit a ball harder into the block where the ball is just going to hit the ground higher <laughs> you mm-hmm. know as you swing so um but for someone like him I, I was scared when I, I knew look he's he's a you know he, right he's a west coast product and when someone wins you know they got the billboards you know you know they're going to put someone like that up but and you want it for them because they want it so badly. But I, when I, I, I knew he was on his way to the national team, and I just like, please say he could conquer this demon. Because you, uh, uh, as someone like me who's been watching indoor like pretty much half my life, I've seen players, you know, burn out. I've seen players wash out. You know, like Mike Lambert, right? I mean, one of the best players that come out of Stanford, right? He washed out on that team. You, you just, you just. You, you grind your body trying to do you kill you kill yourself trying to do something better than you don't you know actually just put a one minute clip up live just to tease people okay. <laughs> so like just to see if kevin knight was watching um <laughs> that's my dude man kevin knight's my dude oh but, yeah but you, you get what i'm saying about defalco there there mm-hmm. are certain players i look at on the college scene that want to play pro and i've been coaching for a long time and i could be like that guy it's ready for international. That guy, mm. I hope you, I hope he is right. We we look. We're mm-hmm. USA guys, right? We're USA mm-hmm. guys. You 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 want to yeah. see your, your people do well. And since we're in the topic of indoor, and I swear to God, I'm gonna get back to grass court in a minute because um, for everybody that's listening, this dude somehow, some way, uh, the Pottstown Rumble grinded grinded out big court side out <laughs> basically from saturday morning to sunday uh, what felt like one in the morning i mean west coast it, look it was late it was dark here me watching the live version so it had to be three hour difference but um yeah so i could look at certain players that did not make the team that i thought would be a good fit like i thought two and ego would be a good fit but everyone just keeps saying short this short that but i'm like how, how he's only like an inch and inch shorter than the than the guys that you got you know i mean he plays big and, and he has a championship mentality and and he did he did everything right you know and, and like everybody was like well they're not gonna have four setters and mike i think micah maha was the third setter micah maha's a savage you know and like all the arguments they were making well micah maha could play three three different positions and i'm like not against italy <laughs> not against russia <laughs> play opposite against brazil see what happens no so um 
So DeFalco yeah. was one of those guys I was concerned about. Uh, the, you have something to say. Floor is yours. Well, well, what I heard. Um, so Bill Bill Ferguson, you know, former coach over at USC, the men's coach over there for a while, and, and uh, just someone who's just been around volleyball for a while. He started at CVC. Um, he said to me one time. He said, uh, "The Olympic team looks for the best setter in the world, mm-hmm. and then they look or the best setter in the country. Yep, and then they look for the best backup setter yeah. in the country." They don't look for the second best setter in the country. No. Because the second best setter may not be the best backup, may not be the one that can be the most supportive, yeah. may not be the one, you know, to, to be an elite setter, you have to have this tunnel vision, this type A mindset, this, this is my team, get on my back, mm-hmm. I'm carrying you, like you're all coming with me. And the best backup setter in the country may not, you know, that may not fit to have two guys like that on the same team. So it may not be anything to do with Tuniga, you know, unable to deliver a consistent ball. But if he's, if Mike is here mm-hmm. and Tuniga is here, but yet there's a, you know, in, in the realm of backup setters, he's, he's may not be the top backup setter, then uh, that's kind of what they're looking for. And I thought that made a lot of sense. And, you know, you don't want the what, second best setter, you want the best backup setter. Maybe. I mean, uh, and Shoji is? I think his maturity is pretty solid. And I think he, <laughs> the way he understands his role and like i think i'm not the one making those decisions and i thank the lord i'm not no I'm not come on we're point, just talking so. shit here yeah <laughs> no look, but, that's, uh, that's what the yeah. podcast is for but but yeah I, for me i think there should be some level of meritocracy that goes through performance right you you look at all of these guys and sometimes head to head salt tells a lot sometimes you know have setting more talented hitters says a lot i remember ucla playing lumby state in the finals at the pavilion um to aniga probably just most, most likely had the better team right the third the third string outside hitter richard lewis richard right african-american yeah. guy he, in fact i think mm-hmm. he's the only black guy on the team um that's a deep team, man. That guy's your third. That's guy, you know. The next year, he started the first eighteen games. They were eighteen and zero. So, but um, yeah. But well, I, I don't know. But that year, Defalco wasn't even the best outside hitter. That fr- that freaking Norwegian cat was, um, blonde, blonde hair, um, almost a toehead. No, uh, that's, t- you know, he ain't from the South Bay, so you ain't gonna hear about him, all right? But but um. <laughs> Um, no, that was the best outside hitter on that team. That was that dude's a savage. And I, I, first time I saw him was um, FIVB. He was at a qualifier, a World Series of Beach. Yeah, he's playing for Norway. And I'm like, wow, who knew these two guys, Mal and Sorum, bringing up the rear would be? <laughs> who come to these tournaments without a tan and win? You know. <laughs> um, yeah. Your thoughts about Brent uh, about Patch not making the team? You know, I was able to watch a lot of the VNL. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bought that subscription and it was after our conference tournament, after our run. And so I was just sitting down just being a volley geek. And the, the few of the games I saw him, uh, in, I thought that just his, his performance was a little volatile. Um, he was, mm-hmm. he was airing quite a bit. I don't think he was ever able to get to his full physical self, you know, when he's contacting up at 12, four and like ripping the ball. And I didn't see him funneling the opponent's outside hitters very well or really stopping them as much as even Kyle Ensing was. And then when, um, you know, when Matt came in over uh, towards the end of the VNL, Matt was doing that. Uh, Matt Anderson was playing really well on the right, too. So, yeah, I just thought if they want to win, Ben serve never really got going. And then on offense, something was was up where he wasn't quite clicking. It just wasn't the Ben patch that I've seen 
where his eyes are down and he's just like, I'm balling. I'm just balling out. Um, I saw that in Kyle and I also saw that in uh, Matt. And so I think that's probably why they made that move. Yeah. I saw both Ben's on the international scene because I, I um and you know on, on the east coast because of the immigration population we watch we find ourselves watching more international ball than domestic anyway um and yeah. that, that includes the, the beach scene you know I mean, there are more dude there are more puerto ricans in new york than there are san juan you know if you go to the brazil day parade it's a, it's it's a well-represented immigration population right you know like Balmesa, right? That entire team's from Dominican Republic. And, um, Paul Lamb out of South Brooklyn. That 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 team's all Polish national champs. Men's Open, you know. In fact, Balmesa did it two years in a row, and they lost one set both years. So <laughs> one set and and at, at nationals wow. for Men's Open, only one set. That was Frankie Valdez is on that team. Um, so okay. it's kind of a Long Beach beach state, but they he's from um, I think he's from Mocha. Um, Santa Domingo now probably I think he's from Mocha, Dominican Republic, but but I got to see both. And for me, I think tie, the tie should have went to Patch unless people thought Ensign was a clear-cut choice. And if someone thinks Ensign's a clear-cut choice, I kind of get that. But there's something to be said about playing with a team and winning and losing, you know, and traveling with that team and getting all that time and with the team that you should freaking play with the team. So, I mean, I couldn't, you know, I mean, I disagreed heavily with so many people I was, you know i mean there was a big argument on old school volleyball about that uh and it was split down the middle but you brought you just made a very very good point that that made sense to me sometimes it's not the best backup it's the best the guy who can who can do you know who's got other tools in the toolbox and ensign can do mm-hmm. a bunch of things like we look we already knew matt anderson was going to play opposite if yep. you if you want a championship team if they want a gold medal team there is no way in hell you're gonna put um, Matt Anderson and Taylor Sander at outside hitter. There's, it's just no championship team has a tandem of outside hitters that are both explosive guys and, and one guy that's not doesn't have a heightened emphasis on ball control. Look at Riley Salmon. Mm-hmm. Look at Reed Pretty. 2008. You might be a little young, but maybe maybe no, not. No, I, I know, you know? them. Yeah. Um, look at Jiba. Look at Dante. Right? Jiba could be the best player the hitter, but he he knows that's not his role. His role is to be the best best passer on the court and to be the court leader. And if you need you need him to blow up someone, he could do that too. So, um, but you're not gonna see Karchin Stavertlik, right? Stavertlik, yeah. best passer on the court, um, voted best passer. Well, probably because they never served Karch because Karch is better. <laughs> um, but but. The role playing, and this, this is important for you as a young coach, the, the role playing and the tandem of outside hitters, um, almost every championship team, ever, almost every gold medal winning team that I've seen has a combination where one guy, you know, like everyone at that elite, at that, you know, at that level is elite. All right. So we'll just say that. But mm-hmm. but um, they've always had one guy who's like the best passer. And if you need him to hit, he could hit. Riley Salmon did a mm-hmm. great job against Serbia Montenegro. Uh, they don't get to the semifinals without Riley, right? And then mm-hmm. um, David Lee, Russia. Then, of course, Clay Stanley cleaned up. Um, right. Your thoughts on that, Matt Anderson? The right well, is, is Matt Anderson playing opposite the right move? I, I think so. Um, I mean, especially with with some of the outsides they're bringing in that do have that ball control. Um, and and then I think too, like what you're saying. You know, you look at those three opposites. You look at Ben Patch, Ensing, uh, and Anderson. Of those three, of as far as physicality goes, as far as just like jump, jump touch, um, you know, stuff like that. Ben Patch and Matt Anderson are very close to each other as far as height and reach and everything like that. Anderson's got a little more height. Ben Patch has got a bigger jump. 
Ben Pat's got better range too. And he's got better range. I think he can hit from yeah, yeah a couple different areas. And Singh just has knack of finding a gap in a block. Um, so let's say we're playing against a team that is just a little bit late, and you can zip that ball back. Ensign can take a ball from out in front and just – I just saw him finding these gaps in the block over and over and over again. And he did that in college. He did that in the VNL. And he's not necessarily going from, you know, ball going from his hand to the floor. He's going ball off hands, out of bounds. He's finding different ways to get kills, whereas Matt Anderson goes and Ben Patch goes ball to deep cross court right. over the top or ball to straight down the line. Um, and I think the way that Patch gets his kills and the way that Anderson gets his kills are very similar. And so I think, you know, you want to bring in two different types of hitters. If Anderson gets cold or something happens where they're just unable to score and they want to move Matt over to the outside, well, now you got Ensing who's scoring differently than than Anderson would score. Yeah. And all things considered, if the hitting percentage is similar and if they can both block, go with somebody that's going to bring something a little different. Yeah. Give your team some more versatility. 100%. Don't be so one-dimensional. Yeah, and that's going to be big. The that's going to be heavy on the shoulders of the head coach on John Sparrow. I believe he's mm -hmm. like, he's coaching again. He's coaching in 2020 for the Olympics or two that yeah. this one. Um, thought he made a really really huge mistake against Italy starting um Aaron Russell. Um, you had Reed Pretty who was available on on the bench. Um, a little long at the tooth, but still as far as what he what he does well. Um, it was, and to my recollection, it was five and one the last six times they played Italy. So sometimes it's like, do you want to put in your 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 hot shot pilot to do the mission just to see if he could do it, or do you put in your your Fulbright Colonel, the sure shot, the guy who who you know what to expect? And I thought it was. I don't know if he just stayed stubborn on that, but you leave that guy in for all five sets like that, and and the guy costs you set one and cost you set five and and i've been doing this for a long time and russell might take this personally and maybe he should because our profession it, there's no way us as volleyball players only speaking for our sport there's no way you can't personalize your work because you put so much emotional investment in it but there were some some instances where he looked like he was clinging to hope you know like there's a ball he hit line it went up and I think in his heart of hearts, he knew it was in, but he just kind of did this and, and it dropped. And, and the libero, he, the worst shit, he blocked the libero from getting it, you know, <laughs> like the path where the libero could just cover it and, you know, whatever. Uh, game one, he got ace like three, you know, three out of the four times when the game was tied at 23 up, you know. One, actually, he touched and the refs didn't see and the Italians lost their mind. I don't know if you ever saw that. It was, I, I didn't watch it. It was the best not not yellow card you've ever seen in your life like spartans like six spartans all six ran to the line judge all six of them ran to the top ref all six ran, like ran to the down ref yes oh my god it's italian style uh, you, you, i thought the whole damn team was gonna get like yellows and reds and it was the the craziest not yellow yellow card and then uh, i think the refs got together and one of them said yeah he touched it and then the next play russell got ace but not his most shining moment but you, you, you i know he's gonna be he was the future of the team but you don't there's the future of the team for tournaments right there's a future of the team for pool play you don't do that in the semifinals, john spara you don't do that in the semifinals. and i know people like him and, and i love the guy to death but it doesn't mean we as players and coaches would let our love and contempt affect our critical thinking skills what are you doing man so so um yeah 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 uh, I, I played i mean i played against russell in high school he was in my mm -hmm. class 
Okay. And he was down there uh, in Maryland just running stuff. I mean, they'd set him six rotations out of six. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he was just putting balls he's away. He's a machine, right? He had, and, a, good, he had a good pace. Oh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And he's still doing it. I know he's done well at Pottstown. I know he's done well uh, internationally. Um, I just – I Wait, think he played there's at sometimes – uh, he has before. Yeah, okay. He has. He made a he made a finals. He didn't play in this one. Right. Um, but there's just those times, and I was an outside hitter, where you just get in a, a little bit of a rut, mm-hmm. and passing is where all your rhythm comes from as an outside. Mm-hmm. And so, let's say you get no balls early, or you get all the balls early, and then you're kind of leaving the setter at the 12 foot line or 13 foot line. The offense can't get going. It just becomes the the hardest uphill battle of your life if you cannot get rhythm from your passing. Mm-hmm. Um, because the right sides, yeah, they get set a lot, but they're the most effective hitters. So you can't really get rhythm from your blocking. Um, middles run a lot of gap balls. So as an outside, you can't really go over and triple. So passing is that rhythmic, um, I guess, skill or trader quality of an outside hitter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he's getting ace three or four times, then that's going to tank his hitting percentage. That's going to yeah. tank. And even serving. when he's out of system, it sets up the triple against him, right? So, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that was Yeah, no, exactly. You're, you're doing yourself a disservice because yeah. you're the one that gets to, to eat all the junk because yeah. um, it's all coming out to the outside hitter. So, uh, I didn't watch that game, but, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that just sounds like it's a recipe for – yeah. For a little bit of a, uh, a tough game there. They put in Reed Pritt eventually um, for the bronze medal match against Russia. And the USA won that. I think they actually won 3-0. Um, I'll, 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 to my memory, I'll say three tight. I call them three tight. Because 3-0, right? Not all 3-0s are the same. <laughs> three, three games yeah. to zero. Not all three games to zeros are the same, right? And you're looking at 28-26, yeah. right? Maybe 30-28. And then maybe the last one's 20. 22 or something so 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 not all three rows are the same um who um who do you got it's so weird i can't believe i'm jumping this direction who do you have coming in that's going to be uh, um a fun player maybe to look at in the near distant future at belmont Abbey? so so a cool I'll, I'll go in i'll just go two positions um so our setter position uh we got jack walsh uh coming in from future in chicago okay um they were in the challenge match on the second to last day in 18 open he was setting uh they took it to three ended up uh taking a tough loss there in three um but he was setting a really good high-flying team uh which is very similar to the team that we're gonna have this year so it's cool to see him setting those athletes that future had um and then zach kramer from niagara frontier uh you know an upstate New York guy, mm-hmm. same kind of thing. They were in the challenge match at 18 open. And so I'm looking at that and I think there were, there were six or eight challenge matches. So there were 12 or 16 teams. And of all of the setters of all of those teams, you know, both of those setters are coming to play for us or two of, sorry, two of those setters out of the top 16 are coming to play for us. And nice. I think that's, that's a pretty cool little stat or a little, I don't know, just a cool little feather in the cap. Yeah. Well, you know, um, knowing yeah. that, or keep in that position. Cool. Sorry, I lost the signal on the last sentence. Say that last part again. Uh, yeah. Oh, I just, I just think it's cool to know that we're going to be that deep yeah. in that position. Um, in addition to our returning setter, Clayton. You know your conference. Like, I mean, of course, when it came out of, it was one of the weaker conferences, or this or that. But it's weird. Every time I watch you guys host someone, like play a home game against someone. And this is um, you guys. What what's good? Angel play for Dache? I forget. Uh, Mount Olive. Right. 
Um, and Oz, Oz, Oz Borges did too, I think a couple of years back. I think so. Crazy Cube. So. Something about them Cuban dudes, right? Um, <laughs> when you guys play people at home, it's like you have different superpowers. <laughs> It's like, wait, this isn't the team that traveled to the Midwest or West Coast to play us. What? Who are these guys? <laughs> Do you ever feel like that when you when you're playing somewhere at home? Like you, like the the vertical jumps are uh, uh, maybe an inch and a half higher. The the passes seem a little bit more crisper. And <laughs> t- tell me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we walked out we walked out onto the court against Penn State, and we I think our average height of our starting lineup was bigger than Penn State's this mm-hmm. year, and. You know, when we when we do that at home and we see them in our gym where we've practiced and we have our crusader head on the on the middle of the floor, there's that sense of like pride and the sense of no, this is our place where we play. Mm-hmm. This is our gym. And yeah, you guys are an opponent and you've been around for five times as long as our program's been around. But we're out here to ball and you're coming into our place. Mm-hmm. When we go on the road and it's starting to change. But when we go on the road, sometimes it gets to the point where it's like, well, we're in a vacuum here. This place is big. Um, the schools and our conferences don't, you know, we don't have arenas like this. And then I think we kind of play really well in that first set. And then sometimes uh, just the whole environment of the thing ends up overwhelming the guys at some point. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're getting further and further away from that. We're, you know, King went up to St. Francis this year. And I think they took him twice on the road. Um, you know, we've, we've hosted St. Francis and beaten them at home and, yeah. uh, played some really competitive games on the road against Purdue Fort Wayne and Ball State. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's getting closer and closer to that because the better and better we do in those matches, the better athletes we get, um, because they know that we're, we're reaching that point where we're going to start overtaking and, uh, you know, beating a lot of the non-conference teams we play. Yeah. Well, for me, I would say, like, I don't remember who I had on my podcast and they were talking about why. Has for beach volleyball, why is the mid, you know, the Midwest so good, and this this and that, and why is and we could say the same thing about indoor, right? Ohio State's always looked good for a while. They, I mean, they won three 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 chips the last ten years, right? Uh, you got Loyola Chicago twice, who beat Division Two Lewis for one of them. You've seen Lewis House USC, who was a who was the MPSF champ a, a couple of years ago. By the way, one of the one of the, the only winning seasons USC had. I'm disappointed in them, but that's a whole other story. Um, right, because that's the hotbed for recruiting. Zero excuses to only have two winning seasons in six years. Sorry, Nygaard. Um, yep. But um, no, right, another nice guy. I'm, I'm crapping on it's, it's crap on nice guys day for me. What's up, dude? But um, I told them, <laughs> I told them. I hope you're. I hope some of you is at least a, a bad guy. So I'm. Not, I don't come. <laughs> so I don't do that on the podcast. But um, I told them if they when, weren't before, they might be now. Yeah, but I told them. <laughs> Right. I told them the difference when you see a good West Coast college team or a club team, it's the talent. It's the it's the recruits. When you see a good Midwest team or East Coast team, it's the coach. It's uh, the coaching um, and the focus on on just building, doing more with less. And every now and then you get this rock star recruit with and you mix it with people that you turned into uh, good players and the great players. And boom, ask him what he's won, Johnny. Texas and Baylor for women are number one and number two. You know, MPSF won five of the last 10 titles, actually played each other for one of them, you know, Division Two and Division One. Um, so how much does... I've lost your picture and it'll come back. How much does um, 
I guess coaching as a collective whole from the assistant coach and the head coach all the way up and down come into play. Uh, can, can you hear me? I could hear you you're, and your picture's back. Cool. Oh, okay. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, as how much does an assistant coach come into play? No, just the entire coaching staff come into play. Oh, the coaching. Uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the coaching staff is huge. Um, I mean, I remember when I was a student athlete, a, a good long, I mean, six years ago, um, just knowing that we were prepped very well for competition, knowing that uh, the all the tools were in the right spot, that we were prepped on as far as blocking goes, as far as serving targets, as far as what our offense needs to look like when we play. Um, it really just gives you, I guess, a, a cushion. So you are allowed to make mistakes and try things. I think with bad coaching staffs, they, they focus on, I guess, too little of things. Um, and they end up making... I don't know. They end up making decisions that are not hmm. holistically good and they, they don't end up influencing the game enough. So they influence a very, very small specific part of the game. Like, Hey, we need to try harder or, hmm. Hey, we need to first ball needs to be great. And it's like, well, sometimes the other team serves so well, the first ball can't be great. So let's, let's go to that second layer. Um, and I think the coaching staff's influence and one of the main jobs, one of the main things that I try and do, and I think good coaches try and do, is remove the element of fear. Just literally take it out of play. Like, no fear. Playing with without embarrassment, playing without an apprehension, playing without looking over your shoulder. Because if you don't unlock, again, it's that whole three-pronged thing with the mentality leading up to performance. If you don't have your best performance – then it doesn't matter how much talent, physicality, technique, tactic you may have. You got to get your boys up to that top performance. And you don't do that unless you play free. Mm -hmm. And so I think the best coaching staffs know their players. They know the opponent or at least familiar with what they do. And then they unlock their own team and they give them the security net. And they say, hey, no matter what happens, if you're yourself and you play the best way you can play, then you're going to win. Yeah. or at least be successful in these areas because yeah, I can't and, guarantee the scoreboard, but yeah. you can be successful out of system or you can be successful, uh, you know, slowing down their right side hitter, um, stuff like that. So I, I think, I don't know, it's kind of a vague answer, but you know, coaching, whether no matter what coast it's on, no matter what level, I think that's probably the biggest thing you can do is just unlock your players and just say, Hey man, what number are you wearing? You're, you're number three? Okay, cool. What, what's on the front of your jersey? Bellman Abbey? Okay, cool. I need you to be the best number three for Bellman Abbey that you can possibly be. And I'll be here cheering you on the whole time. And there's no stress and there's no pressure. And this is your fun time. You do nice. all this work for this performance. Go out there and perform, man. Like, just go take it. It's yep. all you. Yep. Um, Friday, unlock 17A. <laughs> yeah. How's that for an Avengers mm-hmm. reference? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you look, you, st- you we, we stumbled on to how much more important um, coaching from the neck up at that level is. Um, right. I mean, in college, how many people are you going to actually teach how to bump or set? And you know, I mean, you might tweak. You got a great coaching staff that might tweak some of the um, intricacies that that might help them. But but I think at a certain level. Like you said, it's all about conquering demons from the neck up. Um, I'm a big UFC guy, well, MMA guy, because I watch Bellator too. Chael Sonnen once said, um, the 
they tell you that losing's not an option, and I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Losing is an option. Losing is the most readily available option all the time. And he says, so what we as coaches, what we if you have a player that has a hang up that always that always says, This is my moment, this is my moment, and they fail and they fail and and it starts to mess with them a little bit, you let them do two very important things. One, the other team's failing it too. No matter what. And two, it's not and it's natural. It's not an abnormal it's not an unnatural feeling because some like especially in men, right? You 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 they, they don't want to admit this and they, they try to get rid of it and then they fall back onto something that they think help them helps them get rid of it. And if they're taught properly or, or if they've exercised something properly, then it does bail them out. And if they don't they don't. I mean, for example, indoor, indoor, let's just go club or maybe even college. Sometimes, you know, someone just hits, goes middle of the court as hard as they can. What happens is it usually goes long. They beg the ref for a touch. They don't get a touch, right? That's, that's, that's somebody's, an example of someone reverting to something uh, instinctively that they, they're comfortable with. Not necessarily that they're, that they're taught because you're trying to teach them different. Maybe, maybe the hatch is the spot to go, right? At least you got coverage or this or that, you know, or maybe tight sets, maybe the wipe is, is the place to go. But um, I think it's incumbent of us coaches to just to let them know, hey, next play, you know, or let negative talk creep up in their head. You, you know, they're like, that was terrible, <laughs> you know, this or that, you know, and I mean, there's tough love too, but there's also a time for that. Um, for me, t- my, my tough love as a coach happens in practice. The worst thing I, I tell my players, and I did this, I did a training group yesterday for Beach, um, uh, south of the pier, uh, Rob McLean, and um, someone, Brian McDermott, um, I forgot this kid's name, Brian McDermott sent, sent over from, I think he's from Illinois, but he doesn't, I'll tell you his name later. Um, the worst thing that should happen to you should happen in practice. You know, the most difficult time you should have in volleyball, the most miserable time should happen in practice. This way, when it happens in a game, it doesn't feel like an abnormal feeling. It doesn't feel like that you have to do something more than what you usually do. As Bill Belichick says, do your job, right? It doesn't have to be something where you have to revert back to a technique that we hope to God that they've exercised and that we believe as coaches work, you know? And then sometimes they just need to do that enough times on the court for them to look at you like, that that worked. <laughs> that worked. And and you, you're just you're just like <laughs> like I t- <laughs> you're like, you. should I yeah, say I told you or should I, I just do this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just point at them and I go, That was you. That was you that did that. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's John no, Mayer. I mean, that's John Mayer. Yeah. That's Coach John Mayer too. But go ahead. Yeah, well well uh, uh you know, two two kind of thoughts come into my head and uh it, they're they're both related, but um, this idea of people say play with confidence, um, but I always think you don't have confidence unless you've seen yourself do it before and you've seen yourself do it correctly or you've seen yourself be successful doing it. So mm-hmm. that actually is conviction. So conviction means with victory, like with a win, basically. Right. That's it's the old Latin. Um, so if you've seen yourself be successful in that thing or you've seen yourself um, go with victory while hitting a high ball out of system or swiping off the block or um, keeping the ball quick as a setter, even from the 15 foot line and just whipping it back quick. Cause you know, your right side's there. Yeah. If you've seen yourself do it with a victory, then you will have conviction that you can do it again, or it's 24, 24 and you got to rip a big serve. You yeah. have conviction. You can do it. Confidence is waning. Confidence is like happiness. You don't have control over happiness. You don't have control over confidence. 
you do have control with trust. You do have control with joy. You do have control with conviction. And I think those things really allow that performance to get up there. And where I kind of formed this idea was in musical theater. So I used to do a lot of singing and, you know, I was like, uh, I was in Godspell when I was in college and I, I kind of, I did three musicals when I was in college and it was a blast. It was a great way to get my mind off training and just like go out there and meet new people and just be a goofball if on stage. You got to appreciate so how rare that is, but go ahead. To, oh, it's so rare to be a full time, so like a, a college player and, and study. It's almost, you have to, you had to give up sleep. My BFA yeah. is in acting. I went to Marymount Manhattan College. I went to Hunter oh, for no one semester for like a cup of coffee to play with the crazy Haitians and Dominicans. Oh, good. And then and then I'm like, forget this school shit, you know? And then 10 years later, I came back and I auditioned. And at the time, Marymount Manhattan was ranked number two in the country. And my, my, oh, degree, wow. my degree is theater performance, but uh, um, my BFA is in acting. But wow. the difference between you and me is... I made sure I went to a school that didn't have a team. I, I, I needed, dude, I need to go to school. I need to actually go to class. You were flowing and I just fucking interrupted you and I'm so sorry. No, no, no. How did you do it? How did you do it? Well, so going to going to Bellman Abbey and, and being D2, they really put an equal stress on uh, your student athlete experience as well as your collegiate, um, you know, student experience. And so that really helps. Um, but I, I think, you know, just, I, I made it a priority and I only did one a year and I did it in the fall and normally it was right as school year started. So it was kind of before our playing season. So we'd have our performances like early October. So I was able to do it. And while everybody else is out, you know, maybe partying three or four nights a week, I was in the theater from six o'clock until 10 o'clock, four nights a week, which is a party. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, and it's a it's a grind. It's a lot. Homework kind of took a a backseat a little bit to you know lifting weights and acting, but it was an outlet that was awesome, and it hit this part of my my person, and it pushed me in a different area, it made me be a better public speaker. And one of the things the theater director said, and he's he's a legend, Simon Donahue. He's been yeah working with the the Abbey players forever. And something he said to us before one show, there was a lot of nerves and we, for some reason, we had to skip a few practices. I think like the flu went around or something. And what Simon said to us is he's like, I will not allow you to go on stage if you're going to embarrass yourself. If you truly don't know your lines and if I see you stumbling and mumbling and, and bumbling, you know, as Chris Berman says, through this, this uh, performance, I'm not going to allow you up on the stage. We'll cancel our first show. I can do that. But you better believe if I allow you to go on that stage, you are ready. So don't even think for a second that you're going to walk onto that stage in the makeup, in the costumes, in whatever, and you're not ready because I run this theater. Mm -hmm. And if you're not ready, I won't allow you to embarrass yourself mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, I'm the one that pushes start and pushes stop. And if you're out there, you're ready. And I, it was such a freeing thing. And that's kind of how I treat my players. It's like, I'm not going to sub you in the game. I'm not going to put you out there for Belmont Abbey men's volleyball. If you're not ready, no. why would I do that to no. you? You're, you're 19 years old. If you don't know the position, if you don't know how to play, I can't put you out there in that role. It's just not fair. And so then I think in turn that mentally goes, okay, well, I am out here. I am on the court. Then there is that trust there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that that gives that conviction as well okay at least for one person at least for my coach or at least for my my director i've shown that i can successfully perform whether it's a song or whether it's a top spin serve like 
either way. My man. And I, I kind of take that in. Yeah. So for my fact checkers, I was actually in the BFA program and then year three, um, I switched out to BA in con with concentration in theater performance because the BFA program, they don't allow you to do um, professional work inside the academic year. So it's very, very common for Marymount students to, to and because they're both ranked together in the national system, BA in performance and BFA in acting. Um, okay. A lot of a lot of actors switch out. A lot of people start BFA because it's easier to switch out of the BFA than it is to switch in. You can't. It's impossible to switch into the BFA. So, you know, okay. um, the difference is since we're talking about theater and all that stuff, the BFA is uh, two years contemporary. Third year is Ibsen. You know, uh, um, Chekhov, Comedy of Manor, stuff like that, and the entire senior year is Shakespeare. So and the, and oh, the wow. BA is two years contemporary and your third and fourth year, you get to choose to, to do what you want. Uh, if it's acting for the camera, if it's movement for general ensemble, you know, that kind of like chakra work or that kind of, um, you know, avant garde type stuff as well. Uh, um, there's just more there's just more liberty to do what you do what you want to do. You know, also every person that that was double majoring or minoring in musical theater, you, you it was you really couldn't do the BFA and that at the same time. So so they were they were kind of ranked the same. So for my people in Marymount, it's like he didn't have a BFA. I, no, I, I was I was three years in, but I graduated with a, theater, a, a degree in theater performance. You know, I, I took some time off to do a play called Fucking A, but written by Susan Laurie Parks. Um, Susan Laurie Parks won Pulitzer for her best drama, um, and that was wow. at, that was at okay. the pub, public theater. But um, it's listen, listen. Our degree in your, look, our major in theater performance and our major in musical theater qualifies us to do a lot of things, man. You know, like I go to New Orleans, they're like, "What qualifications do you have to do color commentary?" And I'm like, "My degree in acting." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm really, not like. By really the way. For the people that don't like cursing, turn this part up. By the way, fuck you, okay? Because when Triborn was up there at Manhattan Beach saying ball served, out. Nobody asked him about his qualifications, right? And I'm teasing Tri because Tri's analytical. His analytical is off the page. And I always tease him because I'm like, if you had a setup guy, like even like Dave Shaw, right? You remember you know Dave Shaw at the Post Town Rumble? Mm -hmm. Like, whew. I don't know about play setup guy or color commentary or or play by play, but MCs. He's the best MC I've ever met in my life. <laughs> that yep. dude's insane. And you know who I'm talking yep. about because you were in the finals. He was calling it. Oh yeah. He was calling oh, yeah. it on the on the mic and putting the headset on and doing play. <laughs> I know that's tough. It's tough to command an audience like that, like yeah. to be able to call out what you mm -hmm. see and play the part and play that role. It's, yeah, man. You just you need to practice it and you also have to have that certain gene or that certain element of i yeah. don't know charism yep. that people all kind of get you like yep. what you say 95 percent of the people listening are like yeah i get that i, I understand yeah. that and uh, i think some people are so heady or it's so far in you know delve so deep into something that everyone's like i lost interest i don't know and yeah. i have that problem sometimes for sure yeah so but isn't that one that of the biggest look. obstacles for musical theater and, and theater performance too right like going up there trying to be good instead of just being good right how, mm. see how can you appreciate how that translates to volleyball like uh, coaching these kids mentally and psychological preparation uh, hugh mccutcheon once uh once said um during that gold medal run don't try to don't try to be good just be good one of the best mm -hmm. things i heard him say and everybody's just like some people are like huh like out of, out of all, anything you could say to your team that's what you said and i'm like yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's not called faking. No. It's called acting. Yeah. It's, it's called- not called, you know, it's not called anything else other than acting. Yes. In some ways you got to act confident, mm-hmm. but you have to do it with conviction. Yes. I've done this before. I've mm-hmm. said this before. I've controlled a room before. Mm-hmm. I've said things that have helped people win. Mm-hmm. I'm not faking it when I say you have the ability to be the best outside hitter in the conference. Hell no, That's it's not, not fake. fake. Hell no, it's yeah, not you're, fake. And you're not there yet, but you're 6'5". You can jump out of the gym. Your decision-making is a little bit poor. I'm not faking. I'm acting confident because you need to know that I am that I have that much conviction in it. And to be able to say it in a way and look somebody in the eye. And same thing goes in like beat your grass with yes. your partner. Like, hey, right now. Mm-hmm. You take that line, I will be in the pocket. And I could say it like that, or I could say, hey, dude, just like block line, and I'll just kind of be in, I'll be in the pocket, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to know your partner. You have to know what, how they like to intake the info. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of different ways you can say it and say the same thing, and you're not faking, but you're acting appropriate to the situation to get the positive result, to get that performance. Ladies and gentlemen, listening to this episode, the operative word here is called acting. Acting is real human behavior in imaginary circumstances. Okay, that's in the classic sense of the word if I had to do a classic definition. So how acting applies to the stage, how it applies to the musical that you you did in college, uh, uh, and how it applies to performing in other ways. Uh, um, If you understand that we as human beings have to wear different hats to do our different jobs, then it's easier for you to understand. If you're the kind of person that wears the same hat no matter who you are, the way you talk to your kids, the way you go to work or whatever, you know, I think my wife has a little bit of that. I mean, yeah, she's, she's the exact same person with everybody. You, 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 let's, uh, I guess it's my way of saying, let's not fucking play ourselves. You, you know, it's not fake to talk to your boss a certain way that it is that you would you wouldn't talk to your wife or your kid or your best friends maybe you maybe you me and you go out one night maybe in Atlantic City or New York go sing karaoke you know maybe we're different human beings oh, that yeah. night you know let's do that yes. for sure I'm, oh week, look I'm going early that. the tournament the, oh. the qualifier is the 23rd but I'm yeah. flying in the JFK the 19th um, I'm going to Central Park first. I'm bringing my my, um, my homie. Her name is Wendy Jones of the Optimist Journal. She's she's got one of the, okay. the killers, the most killer blogs and podcasts ever. You know she's and she's a power mom too. Her son's a outside hitter at Stanford, Lucas Turner, and her daughter's on the beach team for Hector at TCU. So she's one of those power moms just spouting them out. So I'm taking her from JFK to Central Park, just a couple hours. We we check in Tropicana and then Tuesday we go back to New York. Um, and in the afternoon, hit up the parks again, go to an Italian restaurant, and we're, I'm probably going to sing karaoke at a place called Overlook um, or Keats. It's a, it's, a, it's a pub. I'm a pubs over clubs guy, so you should come too if you're early, if you're around. So Absolutely. Yeah. Hell Absolutely. Yeah. Shoot, shoot me a text about that because uh, yes, I can get those pipes going and yes. uh, help me to play a little bit more free. Dude, we don't, and we, I bet we don't even have a go-to song. People ask you what your go-to song is like, nah, what, nah, nah. I got to just mm-hmm. say I got a million of them, a million of them things, right? So let's, <laughs> let's um, since I keep jumping away from this, like Kanye West and trying to bring it back, um, let's talk about the Pottstown Rumble playing with Mark Fornicari, right? Um, 
Now, from the volleyball side, and I'm going to give you the floor. I talked to Martin Burek a, a bunch of times about this because Mark is from New York. And Andrew Dentler, he and I coach at Endless Summer together when he lived here, uh, which was one of the, the more, at that time, one of the more premier elite volleyball um, juniors clubs for beach. So, and they both really talked about the importance of serve at the Pottstown Rumble. Like, I mean, grass systems, you really can't help it. The net's going to be set up a little bit low, right? And it's going to smile in the middle as the tournament goes along. So you, you, he says you don't need a heightened level of percentage per, percentage proficiency to operate um, siding out. You jump high enough to beat the one-man block. You, you're hitting straight front. You're just hitting straight down in front of the defense, and it only requires like a certain amount of effort to do that. He puts all of his focus and measure into trying to get teams out of system because – and. I, when you're our, our eye test as fans and as coaches and as players, but more more of us fans. I'm speaking as a fan now. It makes sense, right? It's like as soon as the team's out of system, you, you feel like the other team twitches into this this kind of more competitive mode. Just, shit, this is a chance for a point, <laughs> you know. So, um, Mark, I talked to Mark about that. He said the same thing. He, I talked to um, Dentler. He said the same thing. Beloff said something completely different. Beloff was talking from the neck up, and then he was talking yeah. about pass and then serve. Because Beloff don't care about serve because he aces everybody anyway. You know, I'm like, you, you, <laughs> he told me, he told me if he thinks about serve, if someone tells me where to serve, to, where to serve, he gets mad at them because that's a that. requiem for him to miss, and he doesn't want to miss. So, I'm the floor is yours. Let's go to levels of importance for um, the formula for making a, the finals of a tournament is something as highly competitive and as highly octane as the Pottstown Rumble. Yeah, I mean, sheesh. So I'll start at the bottom. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, I think blocking is probably the least important. Uh, the court is so big that you can just hit around <laughs> it no matter what, or you can hit over it. And the high line shot is now, it's not 25 feet away, it's 28 feet away. And that extra you know step that you need to take to get the high line ball I mean, it's going to be on the ground. So I, I would say blocking is probably the least important. I'd say second least important is probably digging or defense. Because, um, again, unless they hit the ball right at you, you really, you're not going to be making that many moves to the ball. I would say good, uh, good serve-receive is important, but not the utmost important. Um, I would say I would, I would crest that one in right there, kind of at number, uh, what is that, four? Then I would say uh, attacking is probably number three. Uh, you don't need to be an elite, uh, you know, attacker to score points there. You just can't get blocked, and you have right. to be proficient, like your normal proficient. I would say setting is huge um, because with that one touch, you can trap somebody, you can put them into terrible situations, yeah. or you can pull away. You know, if if uh, the other team, somebody like Belov, is just absolutely torching serves and you got to make a move over to the side and go with one hand get the ball up if you can recover that with a good set nothing you know no harm no foul then i would say absolutely number one most important is a serve that is got some pace it's unpredictable it can go down uh, both lines in the middle it can go short and deep um and it can just cause head case for the other team and and i think it's not just one person serve but it's the combo serve that you're you're attacking with. Okay, if you have two types of servers and they serve identical and they're coming from the same spot, you see the same ball over and over and over again, you're going to get in a good mode. Mm -hmm. But if you can have a lefty and a righty, if you can have kind of a spinster and a power ball, if you can have a nasty float with uh, with the topspin, some mm -hmm. kind of thing that 
keeps the defense or keeps the serve receive on their heels, mm-hmm. uh, that is a recipe for success. If I can get the offense on their heels, I will win the Potsdown Rumble. And that's just the case. Like, it's just going to happen. And I, I think, uh, you know, as the match progressed, it went from Belov and Lucas being on their heels to us being back on our heels as they got warmed up, started making really, really good serves deep in the game. Because, again, we were up 13-11. Um, and then there was that shift. You know, ball slipped through my hands on, on that set oh, at 11-13. Uh, ah, I'm so sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, it was super unfortunate. And, uh, you know, my hands had been trusty all day. We It was raining the day before. I, I set wet volleyballs all the time. And, uh, you know, it was just something that happens. And, and uh, yeah, it, it ended up putting us a little bit more on our heels than, than they were. And I think that was that was the big deal. So I guess imposing your will on the other team and through the serve, that's the easiest way to do it there. Yeah, um, couldn't agree more. I um. Yeah. Look, that's the reason why you go to the quarterfinals every year and like the remaining eight teams, five of them are are repeat offenders, right? They 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 know it, they figured out the they cracked the code. They have this formula that works that um that I, the list that I love. I'm I'm going to play this back cuz I want to write it down because I might do a 1-minute video how to win the Pottstown Rumble. <laughs> number 5, <laughs> ting. <laughs> right, number 4, <laughs> ting. The number 2 is very in system setting. Well, I'll start with in system setting, right? If someone gives you a good pass, the other team can't make you set poorly. You're a professional, do your freaking job. Um, out of system setting, bringing back sets, turning lemons into lemonade between, however, connection between you as a setter and, and them as the hitter. That's also instrumental because that's important to energy efficiency. Uh, if if you have if you feel like you have to keep doing this every 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 other play, then now you're 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 wasting a lot of energy that you might need to to play the next opponent. You know, um, yeah, and and. It's crazy because I'm looking at your playoff run, right? And friend and Muirwitter were were like the bigger seed, I think, coming out of your pool leading um, impromptu to the finals. Frazier, it's not an easy player to beat, but it really depends on who his partner is. I thought him and Cam Beans played really well at, in New Orleans. Um, he Cam Beans kept. I'm not going to repeat what he's saying. No, I can't say that. <laughs> okay, we'll say that off camera. <laughs> Look, I cursed a little bit, but 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 man, some some things that get me flagged. <laughs> he was saying repeating something to like psych himself up, and just Chris Frazier and me were just like, whatever it takes, Cam. <laughs> That's my dude, man. I love me some Cam Beans because of that, because he's original. And you could imagine what he's saying to psych himself up. So I'll leave oh, it yeah. up to you to speak. Oh yeah. So um. Drucker Maxwell, that's a that was a close one, eighteen sixteen, right? Actually, yeah. what the and they hell were, am I doing? Let me just they, they were dangerous, so they they were dangerous to everybody. Um, so I coached Liam Maxwell for four years, right? Um, and I played against Drucker and coached against him, and those two both have cannons. They yeah. both have all you know in that rank priority. Yep, good serve, good setting, all the way down. They're they're good at all that. I think, but I think you. I truly, Dude, I think you knowing him helped you, right? This this guy, this yes. guy who's like a relative unknown to guys like me or whatever, you know, you walk into this 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 round and and he takes your lunch money. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and they were they were going to be a landmine team. So if they if they took us out, I think they would have made a very similar run, right? Um, all the way through, just because I mean, Drucker's serve is it's it's ungettable if he hits it how he how he can hit it, and yeah. then Liam can side out from anywhere, and he's got all the all the mm-hmm. skills, so. Yeah, they're they're gonna be fun to watch in the coming years. So, yeah. So be, you had them, 
And of course, Caldwell, actually, this is the year of Caldwell. I think he's one of the more improved players. Um, he's always kind of been there, but uh, he, he's on my list for like most improved male players. I put him up there with Rafi Polis, um, who I think is playing real lights out volleyball right now. Um, and then friend and uh, Travis and, and Kyle friend. Well, that, so that was friend and joiner. Yeah, that's right. Duh. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I know we're yeah. trying to out some people for not getting the, the list of names right. Sometimes it just helps to have someone in the, in the booth that kind of knows. I mean, for me, for New Orleans, I kept calling um, Larissa's partner Talita. And it wasn't Talita. It was, his, it was her wife. It was Lillian. And I, I couldn't help it. I just kept doing that, you know, but it's not, yeah, be, it was, be, it was just how my brain uh, wi was wired to call someone that I already knew to be otherwise different, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But Caldwell's weird like that with partners. He did, he did that in New Orleans. He's supposed to play with Andy Banesh, right? Mm -hmm. Commentary team comes yeah. up to me and they're like, Hey, t um, Jason, hey, come here for a second. Tell me which one of those four guys is Andy Banesh. And I just go, he's not here. <laughs> and they're like, no, that guy playing with Cody, that's Andy Banesh, right? And I, I just kind of go, that's not him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that guy's not 6'9". <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was Casey Lochek. Hell no, he's not. And then, of course, let's go on the screen for our people who have the, the benefit of the video version. That's how that ended, 15, uh, 13, 15. You guys are up 13, 11. And then that, that's, man, that's just tough. My, my boy yeah. Rob McLean played with D Aurora, played Boag and Jacobs, Hermosa Beach Finals, and was up 13-11 game three. And and that mm. was, I think that was the get in. I mean, it, and if it, if it isn't, it should have been because at that level, right? Those those four guys is, is like skill-wise, that is a playing game. So, so cool. Yeah. So talk about, yeah, please. Well, I was going to say like being up 13-11, I had an opportunity for a high line ball. I got a dig. And then got a great set. I mean, Mark was just, I mean, Mark wanted to win. And he's hes one of the better fighters and competitors that plays. I mean, being 38 years old and still grinding out for Jesus. two days and Savage. just falling out. Like, Savage. And, and yeah, and he doesn't have the, the height necessarily to just kind of skate by as a block or whatever. I mean, he's got to be mobile and he's got to be he's got to be moving around all the time, but uh, we have such a good chemistry and he was kind of the first person I started playing with a lot. Once I left indoor kind of moved to, to outdoor. Um, but yeah, I missed that high line swing to go up 14, 11. And uh, that's the difference. That's a different and switch. Huh? That's a different switch. It's a different dude. switch. Super mm -hmm. different. And, and you know, it's actually, it was super upsetting. Absolutely super upsetting. But there's also this piece that lets me know, man, just two more feet to the left or one more foot. I mean, it was barely out. And we're potentially pots on rumble champ. And it's like, if I just dedicate a little bit more time to playing mm -hmm. and I dedicate another morning to getting touches and dedicate a little bit more into the weight room and change the diet a little bit, which is what I've started to do after kind of seeing some of that success I can have. It's yeah. like those balls land in bounds and it's a different story. Hell yeah. And then it's different on the beat. And so, yes, frustrating, absolutely. But those are the things, you know, the ball through the hand that I miss out of bounds. That right. those switch, those changes will happen when I play a little bit more. Right. And uh, that's kind of the the way where I'm going with it too. Is I'm going to start playing a lot more, kind of get ramped up so that I can drop ten pounds, be the best athlete I can be, and and uh, that's what's exciting about. Oh man. 
Sorry, I'm losing the, <clears throat> the signal. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still right, here. Can perfect. you hear me? No, that was it. Mark, now, Mark Fornicari. I owe this guy a drink. All right. He's at a beach tournament right now. Uh, and I, I come in and I watch a live stream. And I, I, I think before I started watching it, there were just hands. There, there were hands that they called on his team and their hands they just kind of let go. And then somewhere in the game where it was a very important score, he kind of lost his shit. Right. And, and I'm watching this and I'm like, this guy's drunk. <laughs> this guy's obviously been drinking. He's drunk. He ain't got no fucking control of this or that. And he took that really, really personally. And and Stephen Rochitz is like, no, dude, he was drunk, you know, because <laughs> Stephen Rochitz is like a, a, a he's like a shit stirrer, right? <laughs> he's he's an instigator like that. And I just told Mark, I said, give me your number. And so he gives me his number, and I call him and I say, hey, I apologize. I, you will from what you mean get to know about me i criticize volleyball players with volleyball and i and i do have this attitude if it's too much for you probably shouldn't listen to the podcast but when i say things that i think that are funny that are outside of the range of volleyball um that involves two different pecking orders like mark didn't know me i didn't know him um we don't we know of each other but i was a little out of bounds and i said you know what dude i'm sorry i apologize and it's just crazy we have this conversation and he's 38 so, and I'm, I'm and the question is why the fuck haven't we, we met earlier uh, um yeah. i've been look i'm a pure indoor player i, I only started doing this beach thing like uh, a little uh, a little over six years ago as, as a coach but as a player the players would use me to cross train because i'm a good indoor blocker you know you're six one and you got to block these big dudes but my, my wingspan six eight so um oh yeah, wow big old hug um but i drop a name like Seydoux. Seydu Ajanako. I know Seydu. Cool. Uh, Mike Salik, you know, East Coast player or whatever. I know Mike. Greg Hunter, you know. Uh, all of a sudden, like all of these mutual friends, I'm just like, dude, we're not. <laughs> so when I go East, you know, I'm, and I know he's going to be there. There's no way in hell this man's going to miss Atlantic City as a, as a player or just to show up. I'm, I owe him a drink. So I, I bring him up only from my perspective because I want to give you the floor on what playing with him <clears throat> meant to you and taking that journey um that long side out uh, uh um side out scoring big court grass tournament um the floor is yours my man mark mark Fornicari. all right so mark fornicari so he is an old baseball player and i mean he is just your classic i mean he's from chicago i'm from chicago as well originally mm -hmm. and uh people that know mark know that when he plays he does not talk he plays and so on the trip up there oh we're talking the whole time i mean it's not it's there's not a quiet moment he's telling story after story and it's just fun to listen to when we get on the court we didn't waste any energy talking we already knew what was up if the ball's to me it's my ball if the ball's to him it's his ball like we already know okay it seems all that stuff so many teams are like trying to pump each other up and get each other hype and psyched up and it's like mark and i both went with this idea of let's win the tournament like okay okay let's do that and uh so it's kind of funny we'd go whole sets almost or like point after point and you know there'd be sometimes i'd serve three aces in a row and he just grabs the ball and just like tosses it back to me like other teams are like it's best man you know like they're yeah. all pumping each other up beating yep. their chest mark's just like mm -hmm. just kind of like this you know and so then when he does end up turning it on and does end up giving that hype at some point um it means it means a little bit more but i would say i never have to i never have to guess if he wants to win or not 
And I never struggle with that. There's some points that I play with him during a tournament that I go, if you could just say something, like something inside of me is like, could you just say something? But then I realized that that's kind of like my weakness, you know, that's Mm kind of me needing his support. And I go, well, can I just give that to myself or what am I lacking? Am I lacking confidence? Yeah, I am. Okay. Why am I even looking for confidence? Let me go back to conviction. Mm -hmm. I'm a really good volleyball player. I don't need somebody else to tell me something to like unlock me. It, this is a doubles game. We don't have a coach. I'm just going to go out here inside out. Yeah. Ain't nobody mm-hmm. going to bench you. <laughs> and yeah, I know. I know. Um, so it's a, it's a very quiet game with him. Um, but he's so consistent. I mean, he's one of the best platform setters out there. He knows where my window is, which is pretty big. I know how to set him with his left arm. I mean, yeah, he just puts the ball away easily. He's a really good passer, underrated passer, very underrated. I think a lot of people miss that on him. Um, and then he's just done it forever. Like he's just played so many matches in yeah. his life that he just knows how to win. He knows how to run a tournament. He knows how to when to sit, when to go get food, all that kind of stuff. And as a, a relatively new player, um, I just kind of listen to his cues. And yeah. he's a great tournament manager. When you become 38, and if you desire or if you are maintaining this um, consistent heightened level of play, right? You're playing these these opens, albeit whatever, whether it's regional or whether it's a next or whether it's um, the tour. And you're playing at this consistent heightened level where people have to ask your age to know how old you are, right? I mean, because he plays like a he, I mean, his movements um, are like a young dude because he doesn't waste any moves, right? I guess the point of path I'm going here is energy efficiency. So one of the keys to energy efficiency is to know that big waves crash. So you want to be emotionally high, but not too high. Because my, my saying is if you give up, you get five points on the high, you're probably going to give up nine on the low because your wave's too big. And the, and the bigger the wave is, the, the harder it crashes. So, so maybe a guy like you, great play, let's go. And then, you know, reel it back in. Catch the fish. Um, so that age, energy efficiency is is um, connected to um, not big waves, not crashing. Two, a uh, one, two, not making a lot of, not having to make a lot of moves on the ball. Um, we, John and I call it one move, two moves. I was John's assistant at LMU for the women's beach team. Um, okay, one move to the ball. You ever seen John Mayer play? He, he's I've never seen. Uh, just it's almost like Billy Allen or like think of a, a volleyball player that used the least amount of energy for the same result for a maximum result. It's like he doesn't even look tired. He just got that in one move. He read it. He and and his first step was big. He didn't have to run for it. He kind of walked it. Kind of walked it. So that's where I get from Fornicari, and I think that's the secret to his success. Not a lot of wasted moves. Um, don't be too emotionally high. Don't be emotionally too low. And everything that allows him to do the same thing at the end of the tournament, uh, in the beginning, is the secret to his success. And and, and just watching um, a very small sample size. I've only watched him play five tournaments. Uh, um, but the Pottstown Rumble was great. It was great watching you guys do that. That was great. You know. And I follow <laughs> that because Andre Beloff, I know from Central Park. I'm I'm a New Yorker, okay. right? And his wife is a savage coach. You, you want to talk about a girl in the CUNY system doing more with less? 
the, uh, 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 the ability to do more with less. That woman is coach of the decade for what the cards that she's dealt and the way she can maximize some of some of her recruits and understand that in the CUNY system, student comes before student athletes, Division Three. She, yeah. I, and I felt like I was insulting the other CUNY coaches that I don't want to waste my time having a conversation with people that don't that want to talk about coaching, but they're not talking about coaching. <laughs> you know, they're in, in the CUNY system is Kevin Edwards who played for the uh, um, Trinidadian national team. He's at Baruch College. Um, and it's her. It's her. She, he, Andrew Andre um, attributes her to that victory. Yeah, yeah, that's just, what I heard. I, I listened to it. Calm. And, she's she's yeah. calm. She's, um, well, she's, I guess she's calm watching it. She, she, I mean, as a Serbian player, there's that, that emotional thing where you're probably losing your mind on the inside, you know, but you can't. You don't want your players to see that, you know, and you should know. I think as a coach, sometimes as if your players see some kind of body language, it has to be, like you said, it has to be theater performance. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It's like a lot of times when I'm, I'm emotional, I mean, I, this is me. I mean, the refs knew I was coming a decade ago, like, oh, God, Jason. <laughs> but a lot of it, I, I, they have to know that it wasn't personal. It was, it was performed. It was theater performance, you know? I got a yellow card, draw a joker, put it in your back pocket. That's misconduct. What you gave me a card for was not misconduct, you know? So those kind of things. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, give me another, give me a red. Go ahead. Let's see. Let's see what happens. So, so I was, I was that kind of coach. I've evolved. I've evolved. And yeah. you, you. Well, and, and, mm -hmm. well, I, I've kind of, there's a different side of the volleyball when you're a coach or when you're performing as a player. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I could feel I could feel those areas of mental strength that have grown in me, um, being able to be in tight situations out, um, and still getting a tough serve. And then I could also feel the areas in which I felt whiny, like I felt like I just wanted to I don't know I wanted something else to happen, like somebody else to do the thing instead of me. And I think that is something that I'm going to work on too. Like if it's my serve, it's, it's just me back there. I just toss, I just take the swing and I can trust my block. You know, I can trust the defense, whatever, but to, to hope it's, it's a terrible mindset to be in, to hope for something to happen. Four letter word. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the worst four letter word. And the hoping that was going on when Belov is back there about to rip his fourth ace in a row, you know, I just, I felt that in that moment. And I remember checking myself and going that I'm not in the right mindset. Like I, I just, the, you know, the shaky, the ball through the hands, the high line shot is like, man. And then playing for two days in a row being just absolutely gassed, then you get weaker up here. And so I kind of realized too, I, that, that mental strength part, um, again, a really good thing to learn at this point in my career is okay. just that mental strength. Um, and I kind of have it now in coaching where I can kind of put, put some of those emotions aside until after the match for mm -hmm. sure. And I do that a lot. But then when you are really worn down and tired, like, let's say we make it out of the qualifier up in AC and we get up into the final rounds and we're playing two days in a row, three days in a row. It's like, how am I going to be able to perform and not let that like tired little voice control my big self, you know, my big serve, my big block, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Coaching's always gonna make you a better player, man. Sorry to interrupt. Coaching's always gonna make coaching's always gonna make you a better player, but playing's not gonna make you a better coach. That's the that's the un, <laughs> that's the evil the evil trade off of being like a full time actor player and also a full time coach. You know. Um, yeah. I, I was interested in having you on the podcast because 
I wanted to see if I was talking to a person who can break the molds of my um, some of my old school un unflinching, unchanging philosophies. Um, I'll give you an example, and 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 God, we, I don't know where you got to go after this, and I hope I'm not making you late. Oh, um, I'm good, man. I, I told my schedule, John so. John Mayer. John Mayer's been a repeat offender on my podcast, right? Um, he, right now, John Mayer is the head coach at LMU, uh, their beach team. I was his assistant. Yep. Um, he. You know, went from got that team from a losing record to WCC champs to NCAA, like beating LSU and UCLA the same day. I thought I personally thought he deserved Coach Chidiya. They gave it to Andrew Fuller. Andrew Fuller probably hates me for keep mentioning this, but but come on, don't hate the player, don't hate the game, right? They gave you the award. I didn't. I'm not mad at. I'm not mad at the prom queen. I'm mad at the voters. Okay, that voted her prom <laughs> queen. But I told John. If you want to win a conference or if you want to win an NCAA title, um, you got to quit. You have to quit. You have to retire as, a, as an active player. You have to, you, you can't be the full, a full-time active player and be an NCAA a championship coach. And he's like, interesting. And I'm, I'm like, it is, I was going to say, no, it isn't interesting. It's factual, but no, he's right. It's factual. But, but, but at the same time, not mutually exclusive. It's also in interesting that you in your lifetime will never meet someone who is a championship coach at a at a a, a, um, a near mainstream sport that's also an active full-time player that emerald just doesn't exist not since bill russell okay from the celtics who was the who was the coach of the celtics and also playing on the team that's i mean when we talk about these goats we should never forget about that guy between guys you know whatever but and um it's crazy like a couple of months later he retired not because of me but he was eventually going to retire. And then four months later, he wins the WCC. <laughs> he beats Pepperdine out of the loser's bracket. So that means he had to come all the way back and then beat him twice, um, which I really wish I was part of the team for that. I left the team before that season to do color commentary mm -hmm. for Pe uh, uh, Pepperdine's home games and like the Big West Championship. And John got me in the picture. He's like, hey, you are part of this. <laughs> you know, take a picture with me because that's because he's cool like that. Um, and that's something where I really don't want you to think about because you're way too young for me to be coming at you with this nonsense. But but I would love to see if you will come back to me one season when your season's over and be like, hey, we won the Carolinas, you know, or or maybe like an NCAA, like a final four or like a finals to be like, hey, you know, or, or maybe even a championship because you're, you're on that champ shit anyway. So, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm not thinking as high as you are. You're, you're about that champ shit. So I would love for one day for you to come back on the podcast and be like, hey, you know, you might want to rethink that. <laughs> you might want to rethink. Yeah. That. You have, you know a big mountain you have a lot of pressure that you might not you might be aware of or you just might be you might just be so much into your work you're, you're a prison of the moment and you don't you don't feel the weight you know and i'm not trying to bring extra un unnecessary no no no, no but but um no no these are discussions that i've i've actually had quite a bit recently mm -hmm. um so you know maybe this is a discussion we have uh once we once we close out the podcast um but uh yeah, this is uh, this is something that I've been kind of chatting about a little bit, and uh, I don't really want to give a too big of a, a teaser away or anything, but um, it's definitely something I've I've chatted about, and it's definitely something that I've I've been discussing. And you're totally right. There, there's no space for a full-on recruiting schedule, the full-on administrative duties, the uh, the responsibilities that you know when you have. 18 to 22 year old guys on campus and you know mom is mom's 600 miles away a thousand miles away in a different continent and you're 
you're the guy that's responsible for him. Uh, it's very difficult to to say no to that and then just go train or to go lift weights or to spend an extra 30 minutes at home cooking chicken and broccoli and rice as opposed to just going to your local, you know, uh, joint and picking it up on the way home and getting that's all great. that sodium. Like, yeah, so that those kind of sacrifices you end up making and and who that wants to be a champion would not spend an extra 45 minutes in the office at night answering two more emails to prospective athletes or watching another set of film before coming home Mm -hmm. who wouldn't do that and if you're doing that for your coaching job you are not doing that for your athletic playing career Mm -hmm. so i absolutely agree with that um you know i i just i just do and yeah. So that's, I mean, we can talk about that a little bit after maybe we, uh, we put stop. Yeah. A hundred percent. And at some point you got to come back and we got to have this, it's going to be such a fun conversation because you are, you are a coach that's way, like way mature beyond your years. Um, I've, I always crab about guys who are like former players who kind of just jump, jump into coaching at, at the head, head, head coaching position. But, but if Kevin Knight said some nice things about you and about your intelligence or whatever, that says a lot because we know Kevin Kevin Knight has his um, you know, you tell you, some of these high IQ conversations. I hold on by a thread, you know. I'm I'm just, at the end of the day, <laughs> dude. I'm a fucking moron. All right, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. I'm an above yeah. I'm an above average city kid. All right, that 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 um. Uh, levels up when it comes to his friends and when it comes to his wife. My wife went to Harvard, so so uh, uh, so I, I I surround myself with smart people and and kind of fake it until I make it. <laughs> Look, that that is a certain type of intelligence right there. Just, yeah, you get two educations. I, like I always like say, said. I always say, <laughs> yeah, Kevin Kevin can go deep 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 into the realm of material things. Yeah. And I like to go deep, deep, deep into the realm of metaphysical things yeah. and like ideas and topics. And so somewhere we meet in the middle and we can just talk for hours. And so mm-hmm. where are yeah, you? I um, enjoy is I go ahead. Are you going to who are you playing with in Atlantic City? I'm going up with John Sutton. Oh, Sutton. So he's my yeah, he's my buddy from Charlotte here. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been chatting about playing in a tournament together for a few years now. And uh, this one cool. worked out really well. So, um, yeah, so I'll be going up there with him. If anyone, any one of your friends is looking for a hybrid, I, I, um, I have a, um, a guy that I've been, Rob McLean, I've uh, been training. He's, um, he's, a, he's been a full-time defender behind Robert Aurora or whatever, and this and that, and he's done some training with Ali San from Brazil or whatever. But he's, he's a hybrid, meaning he can block, he could split, he could full-time block or he defend. He's, he's six three. His reach, his reach is uh, maybe a little over eleven feet on the, on the sand. Um, he doesn't make mistakes. He's a little bit of a of a man child when it comes to technique or whatever, but it's like every time there's a tournament, he's and at the end, you I look at some of these local tournaments, the CBVAs, it's always him in the semis or the finals winning or losing. So that's just a, it's like Evan Corey. You ever watch Evan Corey's live streams? It's it's like God damn it! Every time there's a semis or a finals, there he is. You know, yeah, that's that's a kid I like, and we can, man, we could have a whole another conversation about him who oh, came, yeah. who also came oh, on yeah. the podcast. Yeah, I met yeah. him at a um, play-in game. Hermosa Beach. I was coaching Earl, Earl Schultz and Jake, Jake or okay. Jake Arudia. Um, and we played yeah. Evan, Evan Corey and um, Kevin Valela to, to get in. And we, we won, we won two Oh, but Evan was, Evan was terrifying, you know, and Kevin Valela had staff. So we knew we could, we could get, we could get him. He he had so many injuries coming in. So, but, um, Hey, listen, people want to know more about Mr. Nolan Albrecht, man. What is, what's, is there, um, what's your college site or what's your Instagram handle? 
So I would say uh, for college site, check out Abby MVB on Instagram or abbyathletics.com. And then for um, kind of checking me out, following me, um, I have an Instagram where I'm starting to put out some videos. Um, I'm actually going to be putting out a uh, like five steps to improve your serving to win. I'm going to be putting out that video soon. Um, and that's just at Nolan Albrecht, um, just my first and last name. Um, might be Nolan Albrecht seven. I don't know. Just search my first and last name. I kind of show up. You'll see me like serving a ball on my Instagram account. So, um, that'd be the place to go find me. Um, and yeah, follow along. Um, I think it's going to be pretty exciting, Jason. I- I'm looking forward to seeing you out a bunch of these tournaments. I'm going to be traveling a lot more, uh, yeah. to play a lot. And, uh, yeah. I'm just super stoked for the future. Yeah, I got two major ones. Like I'm doing color commentary and play-by-play for Atlantic City. They, I got great That's feedback sweet. from New Orleans, so they invited me to do a bunch of games. Um, yeah, whatever. that was fun. To, you did a great yeah. job. I was wondering. I didn't. I didn't. I knew I'd met you because Kevin mm-hmm. introduced me, but I didn't know that was actually you up there in the booth. Yeah, it was. Pretty, I was like, pretty cool. Dang, just, yeah. I just want someone but, actually who knows how to call a match and stop making all all these corny jokes. You know, what I mean, you could, it, damn, I sound like I'm talking about somebody doing that. Ooh, but um, <laughs> but. Were you an outside hitter before we go? I was going to wrap up because I know yes. I see I look at I'm looking at your numbers. Um, you led the nation in kills hitting or uh, uh, hitting was it hitting per, oh, kills 523 kills per set. OK, my bad. I thought that was hitting percentage. Yeah. 350 was your no, hitting my percentage. OK, my hitting percentage was 350. Yeah. OK, because even that's pretty high for an OH. Are you, were you an OH? That's, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, I, was, I think I was in like the top 15 in the nation that year. Yeah. Um, with hitting percentage and I got over a thousand sets. So yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, those are almost I, I was, middle hitter number worthy of, numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, that that's probably the number in college that I'm the most proud of was my hitting percentage my senior year. Cause I was by far the main target. I yeah. mean, I had tons of attempts, so that, that's probably the number. And Derek Sullivan, who's my assistant coach now, he was yeah. my setter. Cool. And so we got that connection, but yeah, I was a libero until I was 17. Then mm-hmm. I grew like six inches. And then you like to help. And then they move me to the pin. <laughs> Yeah, let me hit a ball, man. <laughs> you will always have my respect because there's something to be said about a player where the other team knows who they're going to set, and they set you anyway, and you still come up with these numbers. So, mad, <laughs> mad respect. Trust, trust me. I know the one year I played at Hunter. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about my overseas, but at Hunter on a smaller scale, a Haitian player, Greg Romulus. They knew we were going to him, and he. He hit in the 300s too, and he's the record holders. He was 61 for 98, which is an NCAA record against uh, Roger Williams. Five errors, 61 for 98, five errors. It's just a, a, oh. a, a and a match we lost, by the way. That was in, it was in Sports Illustrated. It was in sports oh volleyball. God. Got in Sports Illustrated because of that. That's that's, the, um, yeah. It was it was ridiculous. And now I read the article and I'm like shit. And they showed a team picture of all of us or whatever. And I'm like, dude, we lost. Why are we in sports? We had SI, but <laughs> but um, anyway, got your site. I look forward to seeing you again, okay? Listen, for everybody listening at home, this guy might love you, but I can't stand you, all right? In fact, we're out of here, all right? So for all of you at home, for all of you on your Starbucks, for all of you on your iPod or iPad or Droid or desktop, like an old school brother like me, for my man Nolan Albrecht, this is episode 97 of the Option Podcast. I'm gonna hit my music, stay with me after this, okay? But for everybody else, we're out. We love you to pieces. Peace out. Come check out the Option Podcast on optiondb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.